If debit is your go-to card, Discover thinks it's time you get rewarded too. So check out Discover Cashback Debit, a game-changing checking account with cashback on everyday debit card purchases. That's right. Cashback isn't just for credit cards anymore. Whether it's a movie date, flea market find, or midday latte, you can start earning cashback. And did I mention there are no fees, period? Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashback debit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome to Hollywood and Levine, episode 93. I am Ken Levine, your podcast host. Listen to this voice. Since 1928, the Hollywood community has gathered together to honor the finest motion picture achievements of the year. To celebrate the Diamond Jubilee of Oscar, let's look back at 74 years of extraordinary filmmaking. Live from the Kodak Theater at Hollywood and Highland, welcome to the 75th Academy Awards. Ladies and gentlemen, your host for this evening, Steve Martin. That's Neil Ross. Now, he is a voiceover guy, also does narration, movie trailers, cartoon voices, and was a former disc jockey back in the 60s and 70s, back in the days when radio was still fun. And he has written a book, Vocal Recall, a life in radio and voiceover. I have no idea what it's about, but it is available on Amazon. I have known Neil for years, and he's also a very, very funny guy and a great storyteller. Too much talent for one guy. Anyway, we sat down and talked, and suddenly a half an hour became a full hour. So what I'm going to do is break it up into two parts. And this week we are going to discuss his colorful radio career, how he killed Jim Morrison of the Doors, how he at one time was an announcer for the Roller Derby, and a lot of other crazy stories. And next week we will get into his voiceover career, what it is like to be the announcer of the Academy Awards. So Neil Ross on Hollywood and Levine. Okay, well, first of all, I try normally not to have voiceover people guest on the show because you guys... That's a good policy. (laughs) You guys always have a better voice than me. (laughs) Well, not necessarily. Not necessarily. Don't sell yourself short. But you and I worked together in radio. We were at the same station at one time, KSEA, full disclosure, and you and I worked at the same station... Three different times, but at different times. Yeah. Yeah, we were both at KYA, KCBQ, mm-hmm. and KMPC. I got fired six times in radio. How many times did you get fired? Yeah, man, I have to stop and think about it. I think it was uh, four times. 
Yeah, only just, four. I don't know quite how I managed that. I, I, I lost the first two jobs, and then I, I did okay for a while. I got fired at KCBQ and at KYA. And at KSEA. You got fired with oh, me at KSEA. All right, that's five. Then. Yeah, that's okay. Five. All right, you, you got me beat, but not by much. <laughs> of course, when we say fired... In some cases, it was a total stationwide bloodbath. Yes. And it wasn't like, well, you, you go, everybody else gets to stay. Right. Was, uh... You mentioned in the book, and I've talked about it before, at KSCA, this was 1974, the, uh, the October-November book came out in December, and uh, I got a call saying, we have a jock meeting today at 3 o'clock, mandatory, and everybody has to be there. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember we were all sitting in Tom Straw's office. He was the program director. And he said, uh, we're going to change formats. And you mm-hmm. said, when? And Tom looked at the clock and said, 45 minutes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and and that was it. And the great thing about that, this was December 18th. And that date is significant because our promotion at the time was Christmas the way it was meant to be. Indeed. <laughs> And they flipped it to a, a, a Christian format, right? Which led me to believe, as I mentioned in the book, that you know, even the Savior probably would have said, "Why don't you let the boys enjoy my <laughs> my birthday, and then you can get rid of them after the first. Yeah. You know? When I heard they were going all Christian, I thought, "Well, that's it for me." Yeah. <laughs> 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 but you were in radio. Uh, during really a fun time. I mean, it really was kind of exciting. And kids growing up back in those days saw radio as a viable, creative option. It's mm -hmm. something you wanted to do. Yes, a disc jockey actually had some sort of cachet on a local level. I mean, now they're on a level with people who deliver the mail. Not that I'm attempting to put those folks down. It's a fine and worthy occupation, but it's not a big they deal. They have security, at yeah, least. At least they have security. <laughs> but, you know, to younger people, you, you try to take them back to that time and say, pretend there's no internet, there's no smartphones. If you want to hear the music... You've got one or two stations in town that play it. If you have a favorite record, you can't dial it up on your phone. You've got to wait for the disc jockey to play it. And it gave radio stations and disc jockeys a tremendous amount of uh, star power because uh -huh. they were the conduit to the music. And right. If they could enhance the experience with their personalities, they, they became almost as big as the music. And I, you know, I, I say that a kid with a six transistor radio and one earbud, it was the equivalent of having a, I don't know what, an iPod, a smartphone. I mean, it was everything. Yeah. That thing in your shirt pocket, I, God, you can listen to the radio and during class if they don't see the <laughs> thing in your ear. Yeah, the World uh, Series you can yeah, listen to. Yeah, yeah. 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 And uh, now... I mean, my daughter and her boyfriend will come over and somehow a song will, will come up and we'll be talking about it and suddenly I'll hear it playing. He got it on his phone while we were talking. It takes him about 30 seconds. Uh -huh. And so it's a whole different world. Yeah. What I really miss most about radio is the fact that it was a shared experience. Mm -hmm. That growing up in Los Angeles, I could go to the beach and on a Sunday afternoon, 
you would almost hear KHJ as if it were on a public address system mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. you would walk along the beach and it was playing out of every umbrella. Yeah, yeah. I had a similar experience in Honolulu. Uh, the station I was with gave away $5,000, which doesn't That's sound a lot like of much. money. I think the most money that had been given away prior to that in, in Honolulu was $1,380 given away by KPOI. Mm-hmm. But it was only partially cash and the rest was merchandise. This was five <laughs> grand in, a, in American money. Uh-huh. And the way the contest was structured, it sort of narrowed down. And so when you got close, you, 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 at a certain point, you know, boy, next phone call could be it. And I remember I was gassing up in Waikiki when our afternoon guy, who called himself Granny Goose, don't ask. (laughs) (laughs) Remember, there used to be Granny Goose potato chips. Which, ironically, were not sold in Honolulu in those (laughs) days. And I don't know what people thought when they got off planes and turned a radio on and heard this guy. Hell, good afternoon. It's me again, Granny Goose. And it's like, it's you again. What? Anyway, he gave the money away. I'm pumping gas into my car, I could hear the radio station echoing off buildings. Like you said, it was coming out of every car, out of the office in the gas station, and it was just, well, you've won $5,000. I thought, this is astonishing. Yeah. You know, we must have every radio listener in the islands at this point. And for all this I know, we This was porn did. for nerds, by the way, yeah. growing up, <laughs> that, that you could be a disc jockey. You were in Hawaii for five years. Yeah. And also during that period, you spent some time as a rink announcer for the yeah. roller derby. Track announcer. Yeah. 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 Okay. And you tell a great story in your book about one of the skaters yeah. taking you on. Yes, I... Um, Totally fell into this job. It was just a series of accidents. But I started to enjoy it. I, I, I was hooked up to this giant PA system. And the place could hold 5,000 people. It was the Civic Auditorium on King Street. It no longer exists. But I could push that button. Ladies and gentlemen, men, 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 you know. <laughs> you felt like you were God for a couple of seconds. Right. And so I used to do shtick with the skaters, uh, And again, not to blow anybody's boogie, but it began to become apparent to me that some of the stuff that was happening was prearranged. What? Well, I'm sorry. What, the Russians? Well, either that or the promoter had amazing powers of ESP because he would come over and go, in about five minutes, this is going to happen, and then the referee is going to come over and pretend to talk to you, and then you make this announcement. Oh, okay. And five minutes later, it would happen. Anyway... Uh, they had a woman skating for the bad guys, the the incoming team from out of town. And um, <clears throat> she started exhibiting rather bizarre behavior. I thought it was all part of the act. So I started ragging her. Uh-huh. And she's glaring at me. And I thought, boy, this is going great, you know. And then at a certain point, she takes a skate off and hits one of the guys in the back of the head. And he goes down like a sack of potatoes and there's blood and... The promoter comes over and says, make the announcement that so-and-so has been taken to the hospital and he's going to need stitches, and I did. And then I killed the mic and I said, boy, that was the most, the best thing I've ever seen you guys do. That really looked realistic. And he said, yeah, sure did. It's real. She's drunk and i got to figure a way to get her off into the dressing room. 
And I go, oh. <laughs> and now she's skating by glaring. And you're ragging at her. Yeah, well, yeah. I stopped instantly. I'm calling, now I'm calling a very straight game, you know. And, but she's glaring at me. And finally the women leave, and I think, okay, I'm off the hook. Guys are skating around. And suddenly the crowd goes crazy. And any time the crowd goes crazy and you can't see why, you better figure out why, because it might involve you. Okay. And in this case, it did. She'd come out of the dressing room, and she was skating down the infield, and this look of absolute blind rage and hatred on her face. The timer, who's sitting next to me, like you are, he sees this, throws the stopwatch down, goes, ah, and runs. You know, <laughs> I just have time to get out of my chair, and she's on top of me. And she was a rather hefty woman. And the only thing that saved me was she was on skates, so she had no traction. Right. And we're spinning around in the infield. The place is going mad. And I'm thinking, what the hell do I do? And now I'm feeling <laughs> fingernails clawing at my eyes. And I said, okay, 10 bucks a night is not... Uh, we're losing your sight not compensation enough for losing my sight so i took a poke at her i you know i don't know anything about fighting but uh -huh. somehow I, I i think i connected or she passed out <laughs> anyway down she went so picture the scene the audience has just seen a young healthy 19 20 year old guy cold cock a middle-aged woman <laughs> what would you think would be the reaction well, it was before me too but yes. yeah <laughs> they loved me <laughs> women came out of the stands put lays around my shoulders kissed me guys stood in line to shake my hand it was absolutely surrealistic i remember going home that night and lying in bed staring at the ceiling going did that really happen now, did the promoter then come to you the next week and say, we love this, let's do this again? No, uh, it's funny. They, I got absolutely no direction. Uh, I seemed to have complete freedom. I, uh, the only time they talked to me is, like I said, one of these in five minutes, this will happen and you do that. There was another skater that I made friends with. He was skating red shirt. That's what they call the bad guys. Right. You're either white shirt or red shirt. He was a nice guy, and we, we'd pal around and drink and hang out. And uh, one day I said, you know, I could take you. You're not, you're, <laughs> you're not that strong. And, oh, no, you couldn't. And so I'd had a couple of pops before I came in. And I don't know what got into me. But he, he, we started pretend fighting. I mean, the audience thought it was real. I mean, verbally. Right. And he, he, he skated by and he flicked some sweat on me. And I said, okay, brother, it's on. I put the <laughs> mic down and I stood up on the table. And then I got up on the railing. And uh -huh. He's coming around. He doesn't see me. I dove off the railing and tackled him. <laughs> we roll into the, <laughs> into the infield and the place is going nuts. Right. And I get on top of him and I start fake punching him. Uh -huh. and he goes, let me win. <laughs> hell with you i'm not letting you win in front of five thousand people punch 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 he says let me win or they'll all think they can come down here and there'll be a riot <laughs> i said are you sure i said i'm not lying i said okay and i let him roll over and pretend to beat me for a while and uh -huh. finally separated us and i as i recall the promoter came by and said something like that was great don't do it again. <laughs> and that may have been the one time they, they put the brakes on me. But the rest of the time, uh, any damn thing I felt like doing, they seemed to be fine with it. I went to the Olympic Auditorium here in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. We had roller derby, the 
L.A. T-Birds. And uh, I remember the track announcer saying, uh, ladies and gentlemen, do not throw anything onto the rink. You have no guarantee it will hit the player you're aiming at. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's one way to... <laughs> <laughs> no, I used to love going because it was just insane. Yeah. I mean, the crowd yeah. was insane. Like 80-year-old women standing on chairs screaming obscenities. Yeah. I yeah. loved it. That was great theater. It really was. It was, it was an astonishing experience. I was just, like a lot of things, I was so young that I didn't really take it in the way. If you could put me in a time machine, let me call a game right now. Uh-huh. Oh, man. You know, I would soak in the the experience. As it was, I'm sitting there going, 10 bucks a night, and I still haven't made it to KFWB. What's wrong? <laughs> Instead of chill, dummy, and appreciate where you are. Right. Well, that's what happens when you're young. Yeah. You know, another great thing about being a disc jockey back then, certainly, was the fact that stations would host concerts, and mm-hmm. these groups would come through. And again, there was a... Great chapter in your book. You talk about meeting and hanging out with Jim Morrison of the Doors. Yeah, yeah, that was that was an astonishing evening. Um, they there was a considerable amount of paranoia leading up to the event. Uh, you got to remember, rock and roll was very much in its infancy. Still, this was 1968. I think Rolling Stone magazine had only been publishing for less than a year. Mm-hmm. We really didn't know anything about the band, and the advance person said, oh, I hear bad things. They, they may not show up at all. If they, they may show up stoned. I hear they use drugs. <laughs> and, uh, you know, she, she finally said, well, I want at least four of you backstage to deal with these people, you know. And I said, okay. And then the guy running the, the venue said, if there's any profanity, or, uh, the show will be halted immediately and no alcohol whatsoever backstage. And we go, well, we can't w- welcome this band with... with <laughs> so we bought um, a case of Paps Blue Ribbon and we put it in a cooler, which we then put in a cardboard box and we labeled it Radio equipment, fragile, do not open. (laughs) And we got it backstage. And so finally the doors arrived and we were in this fun. It was mostly a sports venue. So there's lockers and there's a training table and a mirror and there's showers in the back. Right. The four doors arrive and it's like they, they tried to get as far away from each other as physically possible. They all went to four corners of the room. Wow, and we sort of sidled over and started to talk to them. Jim hopped up on the training table in front of the mirror and he's sitting there and nobody goes near him. He was the scariest door. Uh-huh. And I finally thought, well, I guess I got to bite the bullet. So I hop up on the table next to him and I said, uh, hi, Jim. How'd you like a beer? Which was the magic phrase. Uh And uh, he smiled, which is not something you see Jim Morrison do a lot of in pictures and and on a video. But this dazzling smile. He's a good-looking guy. Yeah, he sure was. And uh, he said, I love one, man. And I dove under the table and opened up the radio equipment box, popped a beer, handed it to him, popped a beer for me, uh, offered him a cigarette, which I used in those days. Unfortunately, he accepted and we lit up and took a sip, and we started to talk. And, uh, y- you know, there's so many Morrison stories that I've read about how he was a drunken uh, madman, and not that night. 
He seemed uh, obviously highly intelligent. I didn't appear even slightly intoxicated. I think we had two or three beers before they went on stage. But, I mean, there was just no... No wild man, and we talked about we talked about his records, their records, mm-hmm. and how they were doing, and uh, then we sort of started talking about writers. And I asked, well, because I said, you know, your lyrics are so uh, deep and I th- and, and, and meaningful and metaphor filled, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, you know, other than Bob Dylan, I can't really think of anyone who's writing songs, at least the lyrics, the way you guys do. Who writes the words? And he said, well, I pretty much do. And I said, wow, what are your influences? And he reeled off a stream of writers, which the only one I remember is Kurt Vonnegut. But I read later that when he was in high school, he had this library of books in his room. And he would challenge people. He would say, pull one of the... Because they would say, do you really read all this stuff? And he would say, pull a book at random. Open it up at random, start to read, and I'll tell you the page number and the title. And he could do it, apparently. Wow. That's quite that's, a that's what skill. I, yeah, you so. don't see that in the <laughs> Oliver Stone movie of him? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Somehow that didn't make the cut. Um, it, it's a, it, he, he's, he's a tragic figure because... Uh, sure, died so young. And he, he, should, he should not have b- b- uh, used alcohol. And uh, had he lived, maybe he'd have figured. Well, maybe that if out. you didn't give him the damn beer, yeah, I, maybe if you I'm, gave him a right. grape knee high, it's my fault. That's folks. right. Yeah. You you killed Jim Morrison. Okay. Well, that'll be the title of the episode: the man who killed Jim Morrison. Maybe that should have been the title of the, the book. book. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when I was a disc jockey with you at KSCA, the one thing that really struck me about you, as opposed to most of the disc jockeys. Is And it's something that I always tried to do myself, but I always got the sense that you were really trying to communicate one-to-one with the listener, that you weren't just, and here's Creedence Clearwater, everybody, you know, that you were talking one-to-one with with the listener. Is that something you did consciously, or was that something that somebody taught you how to do? I guess it's hard to say, and I think really that was my downfall because if you think about the evolution of radio, the problem both of us had, yours was probably more pronounced than mine, but we came through an era where the baritone voice was the king. Right. I'm sure you worked with guys who had one of these oh, yeah, kind yeah. of voices. The night the lights went out in Georgia. And you yeah. listen to their content, and it's nothing. The guy's a moron. Right. But he's got this big, deep voice, and the program director's going, I love his voice. <laughs> and you're there coming up with brilliant stuff, and it's like, yeah, his voice is kind of high. Well, listen to what he's saying. What the, <laughs> you know, Like the audience gives a rat's right. patoot. But... Um, and I, th- you know, trying to communicate the way I did and I think you did too almost worked against us. A lot of disc <laughs> jockeys were not really playing to the audience. They were playing to program directors who might hire them at bigger stations. Right. And uh, I think in my case it kind of held me back because, yeah, I was sort of trying to sound good, quote, unquote, whatever that is, but I was also – talking to a sort of an idealized listener that I created in my mind. I don't know if you heard Don Imus's sign-off. 
when he, no. when he no. well it uh, he, he had a moment where he actually i think it was sincere he actually began to cry he was talking about this listener that he had created in his mind and he called this listener you and he said i've been talking to you for whatever it is, 35 years, and you know what I'm going to miss? I'm not going to miss this, and I'm not going to miss that. I'm not going to miss the other thing. And he started to cry. He said, I'm going to miss you because that's been my life, getting up in the morning and talking to you, and I won't be able to do that anymore. And I thought, yeah, that's kind of what I did. I had this ideal listener. I couldn't identify him or her if I passed them on the street. Mm -hmm. But... That's who I talked to. Yeah, you know, when I was announcing baseball, I always pictured my listener that I was I was talking to a middle-aged woman, hmm. okay? Because if you talk to a guy, you know, guys are diehard fans, mm-hmm. so they know everything. Yeah. So I'm thinking, okay, I'm talking to somebody who I really have to explain some of the finer points mm-hmm. to, mm-hmm. and I'm talking to somebody who has an emotional attachment to things. So try to really make this a story mm-hmm. and try to really make the players not just be names and bobbleheads, but actual human beings. So, yeah, when I called a baseball game, I consciously thought my listener That's as like a 35-year-old woman. And you probably got heat from guys going, I know all this. Yeah, to a certain extent. But you know what? The diehards listen anyway. Yeah. (laughs) And if they hate you, they listen even more. The fans used to get really mad at Howard Cosell. Was it Monday Night Football? Monday Night Football, yeah. But he was the guy who, because I'm not a sports fan at all. But I would find myself in situations where there's there's three guys and they all want to watch this game. So I'm sort of half-heartedly looking at right. it. And Howard was my tether, my anchor, because in the, middle, in the midst of this plethora of numbers and statistics, you would suddenly hear a guy go, that young man who just scored that touchdown five years ago was totally paralyzed. They told him he would never <laughs> walk again. And he said, I will not only walk, I will score touchdowns. And you have just... And, I, and suddenly now I'm hooked on the game. Right. My buddies are going, oh, why doesn't he give it a rest? I'm going, this, now the game suddenly got interesting. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Next week, his voiceover career, that was Neil Ross. Our thanks to Adam and Susie Meister, Butler to Howard Hoffman. If you want to get in touch with me for any reason, hollywoodlevine at outlook.com is my email address. That is hollywoodlevine at outlook.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Ken Levine. You can also follow me on Instagram, Hollywood and Levine. I would sure love a five-star review. I don't know why they keep telling me I need to plug it. So uh, if you could give me a five-star review, I sure would appreciate it. Come back next week for part two with Neil Ross. Thanks so much for listening. I will talk to you then. Bye-bye. 